James, I got goosebumps. We just had a really deep chat before our proper chat. Yeah, we did. Didn't we? You I, di- literally do yeah. have goosebumps. Oh man, yeah, really goosebumps. <laughs> I don't know if it was a breeze or if it was just um, a beautiful conversation that we just shared. So our friend Brad Blanks um, connected us, and we met briefly at a meditation thing prior to that. Mm. Um, so I felt like it was the universe just really going get these guys together. Yeah, I, I feel that as well. Yeah. Um, so right now we're in your house in. Venice in the garden, beautiful day. The odd plane might fly over, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just wanted to explore your journey. Really, your your you you help people, and I want to know why the fuck you want to help people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, you know I'm a funny talker like you, Australian, and uh, well, I say that be, uh, as if I'm talking to an American host because I've been living over here in Los Angeles for like 15 years now. Right. But my my evolution, if you want, is you know I grew up in Brisbane. Went and lived in London, as many Australians do, um, in 1999. Mm. Fell in love with a British woman who dumped me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I was so heartbroken. I'm like, i got to get out of this country. So I literally got on a flight a couple of days later, September 30th, 2002, in fact. It was AFL Australian Rules Grand Final night yeah. Yeah. Uh, of that year. Flew into LA uh, and ended up living in the Hermosa Beach Hostel for 90 days and 90 nights sleeping in a bunk bed paying $15 a night. Wow. And this is after I'd had a pretty good journalism career. I was a reporter for the Courier Mail back in Australia. I worked at Sky Sports in London mm. and now I was kind of living in a bunk bed in, in, <laughs> as, a, as a late 27, you know, like 27, 28 years old. Anyway, I figured out how to stay in the country and uh, I started interviewing movie stars. So I interviewed Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and all yeah. that. Yeah. Build a business with a mutual friend of ours um, in 2009, financial crisis hit, lost that business, went down to Buenos Aires to learn Spanish and drink red wine. <laughs> and when I came back in 2010, I quit drinking. Um, and I wasn't a huge drinker, but I was, you know, a lifestyle drinker. Yeah. And that kind of unlocked a whole process for me of just thinking about other people rather than, than myself. It's it almost like I got the clarity from not drinking where I got became healthier in my body and then I started this process of wanting to get healthier in my mind mm. and um, all these amazing things happened I landed a, my dream job hosting a TV show called Sports Center on ESPN which is a big American uh, show and uh, became an entrepreneur and you asked me you know what how do you help people now I own a couple of businesses I help people sleep better mm. and I help social drinkers quit alcohol essentially um, and do some coaching and mentoring to high-level entrepreneurs as well. So, um, awesome. Yeah, it's been it's it's been a it's been a, a journey from being very focused on myself to wanting to help others, and ironically, be coming back to being very focused on myself again, mm. going through this kind of like self-development journey. Mm. So the point, the the pivot, the pivot was really in South America. Then was it? Well, yeah, the, the, I think the pivot for me was when I quit drinking. Yeah, two thousand ten. Um, I was spent six months in Buenos Aires, had a wonderful time. And when I came back, I went, right, I'm going to make some changes. And then a few weeks after that, after I returned, I just went, oh, I'm just going to not drink for 30 days and see what happens. And in 30 days... What, but what, what kind of... Was there a particular thing that made you want to do that? I was in uh, Austin, Texas. I was at a festival called the South by Southwest Festival. Mm. It was March 12th, 2010. Yeah. And I went out to an industry party, had a couple of drinks, gin and tonics. Nothing noteworthy happened. I just went back to the hotel, went to sleep. And when I woke up in the morning, 
I looked in the mirror and I just looked and felt weathered. Mm. I was just like, man, I've put on some weight here. There's some like my, I've got a fat roll hanging over my over my um, belt. Mm. Um, I got some crow's feet. I just, I mean, I just looked tired. It wasn't mm. like I was sad or depressed or had super low energy. I was just operating at what I felt was probably like a six out of ten. Mm. And I was like, do I want my life to be this way? And so I, I went to an IHOP, which is like an international house of pancakes, which is adjacent to the uh, hotel. And I sat in this IHOP on the outskirts of Austin in Texas. And there were these really kind of overweight people. They were eating all-you-can-eat pancakes and maple syrup. And it was an overcast day and there was, it was gray outside. And I was just like, oh, I just feel ordinary. Like, mm. just feel average. <laughs> and I went, I wonder... I wonder what it would be like if I quit drinking for 30 days just to see how it feels. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, that's it. I'm just going to do it. And uh, I did that and I lost 13 pounds in 30 days. My skin got better. Mm. I slept better. I realized I was more productive. And what was most interesting is that I started attracting what I perceived to be a higher caliber of person into my life. So just by virtue of the fact that I stopped drinking, I started attracting people who either didn't drink or... It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like a social crutch. Mm. And then those people would introduce me into the gym and lifting weights or running or yoga or meditation, all these things that I didn't even entertain before then. So when you say higher caliber, you mean people optim, optim, working at an optimum body function? Yeah, I, higher caliber is probably the wrong phrase, but people who are committed to growth, health, mindset, mm. outlook, people who don't need alcohol to you know, fit in socially. Or connect with people. Or yeah. connect with people. That's yeah. that's kind of what I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And and then from there, from just changing that one habit, which was not drinking, it opened up this whole cascade of habits of things like I did Vipassana and I mm. did um, uh, ayahuasca and mm. I went to the gym and I ran a marathon and mm. I ran half marathons and... Mm. I started having better relationships. and mm. So, it's just changing one habit of not drinking. Huge, huge shift, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it, it's everywhere in our culture. So, I think once it's kind of, it seems to me like it's the thing that unplugs you from the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Stopping drinking. It's like that scene from um, Breaking Bad. You ever watched Breaking yeah, Bad? Yeah, bits Wal- of it. Where Walter White says to um, Jesse, he goes, I am awake. <laughs> it's kind of like the, f- the first series when he's like all of a sudden he gets the insight like he's been diagnosed with having cancer and it just if rather than him like shrinking down and going oh into despair he's like right what's possible let's go and he's like i am awake wow and for me it was like i am awake yeah just from like quitting for 30 days and when i got to 30 days i went i feel so damn good i'm just going to keep on going and I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since, wow. since March 12th, 2010, yeah. Wow. Because sleep's the other side of things that I heard this great podcast on Joe Rogan recently that this expert, I can't remember the name, but they talk about how important sleep is. And mm. I had just no re- idea. Oh, really? Like it, more important than our diet or our exercise. If, we mm. don't, if we're not getting sufficient sleep, yeah. our, our body isn't building repairing yeah it's exactly right i've i've become somewhat of a sleep expert in the last three years i'm not a doctor not a sleep doctor but i've Mm. i've interviewed the world's top sleep doctors and read every study and 
I'm pretty well versed in sleep, wow. and I I now sleep between seven and eight hours a night, almost flawlessly. And <laughs> it feels I love that as a brag. <laughs> I'm fucking wicked sleeper. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can sleep pretty damn well. <laughs> Some people are like, yeah, you know, bench press two two twenty in the gym the other day. I'm like, slept seven or eight hours, but flawlessly, flawless, Perfect. almost flawlessly. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, and and so many of the disruptors to our sleep are, are preventable just by just making a few simple adjustments. Like, I'll give you one example. You and I, as we're recording this, we're sitting in my front yard in Venice Beach, right? It's early morning, and we're sitting outside in the sun, right? Mm-hmm. The first biggest factor that anyone can do to improving their sleep is getting natural sunlight first thing in the morning. Mm. So when you wake up within the first five minutes, go outside and let the sun Mm. hit your skin because your skin has receptors in it. Mm. And what that does is your internal body clock, which is called your circadian rhythm, goes, oh, okay, this is daytime. This is what you mean by the wake-up time. This is daytime. Got it. Okay, cool. And then what your body clock will then do 16 hours later will start to flood your body with melatonin to prepare yourself for sleep. Oh, right. So people tend to make the, the mistake unknowingly where they wake up in the morning and they stay indoors for like two hours, three hours, whatever, and don't expose themselves to natural sunlight. And so their body's circadian rhythm is like, well, when's, when's daytime? No. That's so interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that you start that, you you jump, you tell your body to fall into that clock cycle. Yeah, right away. I, I thought just being, I just assumed just being awake was enough to kick it in, but it's actual. It is, a, it is enough to kick it in, but not, it's, it's kind of like if you had a, um, a clock and you kind of wound it up, but you only wound it up a little bit. Gotcha. But if you want to wound it up and have it run on time mm-hmm. and have it work effectively and efficiently... Go outside first thing in the morning and awesome. let the sun hit your hit your skin. Awesome. And then, um, and then the next biggest factor at nighttime um, is block blue light. And blue light comes out of your cell phone, out of your TV screen, out of your computer. Um, and I don't know about you. Do you stare into your cell phone or your iPhone late at night? When- Love it. All night. <laughs> What's your? I tell you what. Give me your final hour before you go to sleep. And I'll potentially rip it apart and tell you why you're not sleeping <laughs> oh, well. Oh shit! I'm nervous about being honest about it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I generally I try to I try to put my phone down and not do it before bed, but I inevitably do. Look at it, brush my teeth, look at it again, um, check it one last time. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a. I'm trying to call that, but I needed to create some rigid boundaries where I, I just get an alarm clock and put my phone in a box mm. as soon as I get into home. Mm. But give me, some, give me some guidance. Yeah. So, in that last hour before you go to sleep, you're exposing yourself to... I do, blue, I do the night mode. Yeah, you do night shift on yeah. your iPhone, right? Yeah. Okay, we were talking about that before. So, yeah. here's the thing. Every time you're exposing yourself to any artificial light at night, you are tricking your brain and body into thinking that it's still daytime, which means your body doesn't produce as much melatonin, which means you either have trouble falling asleep or you don't sleep deeply or you wake up feeling slightly tired and lethargic, mm. even if you've had seven or eight hours. Mm. This iPhone or an Android is essentially, essentially a mini sun and we're staring into a mini sun at nighttime, right? Mm. Like this. Mm-hmm. Our body goes, okay, it's still daytime. Got it. Not going to produce as much melatonin. 
So now you don't sleep as well. Mm. Doing night shift on your phone is good, but it's like a three out of 10 kind of level of protection because what it doesn't do, it doesn't protect you from the TV screen light and the bathroom light. Do you brush your teeth before you go to sleep? Yeah, but I try, I try to have orange bulbs in my house. That's wonderful. That's great. So you yeah. practice, you, yeah. you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, is there an alarm clock light next to your bed? No. Okay. Is there a uh, is there a light in the hallway in the living room? A bed? I'm very, I am aware of blue lights. Like I'm like no thank you to them because yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, when the, when like a parent's house there's white lights at night and I'm, I find it really abrasive on my eyes nowadays. Oh, it's nasty. Yeah. Mm. So just be aware of how much light you're being exposed to mm. at night time. And then you know I started this sleep company called Swanwick Sleep three years ago and we've created these blue light blocking glasses i'm wearing them on my face now right and the orange lens blocks the artificial blue light the blue blue is the opposite of orange orange is the opposite of blue blue cannot penetrate an orange lens so what i do is i wear these in the last half an hour 45 minutes before i want to sleep i can continue scrolling through facebook or instagram continue watching tv or working on the computer and then i only remove them once i've switched the final light out Mm. Um, I don't want to expose myself to any light, even in the last moments before mm. before I roll over and go to sleep. So, right, um, and that really gets your cycle into gear. That's they're two mm-hmm. really killer tips. Yeah, if you want to sleep better. Yeah, are there, are there any other peripheral ones that you've observed that people doing or we do? Yeah. So um, studies have shown that if you can sleep in a cool environment it's optimal for sleep so in fahrenheit anything between 65 and 69 degrees fahrenheit is the perfect room temperature our bodies sleep best when it's slightly cool that temperature you definitely need like a blanket or a doona or something Mm -hmm. Um, studies have also shown that if you exercise in the morning rather than the evening or afternoon you sleep better and i think it's because of two things one people who exercise in the morning tend to do it more regularly and so they're healthier anyway in which case they're going to sleep better if they're naturally healthier and two your body temperature increases when you exercise so the closer that you exercise before sleep or before bed the higher your body temperature Mm. and as i just said like we want our core body temperature to be lower and Mm. cooler Mm. um Coffee is a stimulant. If you're going to drink coffee after 2 p.m., it's going to affect your sleep, plain and simple. Okay. So, and there'll be variations in all these because everyone's body's slightly different, obviously. Right. But to, they're, they're all safe, intelligent boundaries. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, um, sunlight, obviously, first thing in the morning. So if we were going to do the perfect day, it would be sunlight first thing in the morning, even for just five minutes. Exercise. In the morning. Um, Expose yourself to as much light as possible throughout the day. There you go. (laughs) Stop drinking. Have your last coffee before 2 p.m., by 2 p.m. And then at night time, sure, continue using your electronics. Continue living your life. Mm. But do it wearing a pair of blue light blocking glasses like these Mm. that block out the artificial blue light. Mm. um, And only remove them once you have... Um, turned off the last gotcha. last light. Really great, man. If everyone, I'm going to try be really rigid with these things mm. for the because that's one thing I, I went like with meditation. You just do it for six, two, three weeks, and you'll notice a subtle differences start to occur. So I want to try this like sleep optimization for two to three weeks, and I'm no doubt I'll see yeah some returns. Let me know. 
I, I gave you a pair of our Swanwick's glasses Thank you there for before. Them. Try those out. Where can people sure. get them? Yeah, the website swanwicksleep.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what, what's going on in your life at the moment where you're saying like more personal development stuff? Like what's, what's your greatest challenge at the moment? What's your, what's your growth pain point? What's your growth area yeah. with work or uh, anything? Yeah. So, yeah, here's the thing. I wanna, sorry, I want to ask also about ayahuasca, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> so, uh, as we're recording this, I'm 43, 43 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. And in February, March of this year, I had the quintessential existential crisis slash midlife crisis slash breakdown. Total cliche. And... Uh, it was, it was the most challenging time that I've had in my adult life. And it was six to eight weeks of what felt like depression, feeling completely lost, not knowing what to do, where to go, questioning all the choices that I'd made in my life up until that point. And through a series of programs and therapy and things like that, the last four months have been the most content and happy of my adult life. So, you asked me, what are you going through? The answer for me anyway is a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot this year. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, it was just, it was so bizarre because I always question these people who always like, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. I'm always thinking, just get out and exercise and get natural sunlight. I didn't really have any real appreciation for this feeling of just helplessness. You know, I'm feeling hopeless. Mm. Now I do. Mm. Now I really do. I have so much more empathy now to people who say that they're struggling with depression. Before I was like, what the hell? I just don't get it. Now I get it. Wow. Um, So, yeah, you know, and I, the first 42 years of my life were pretty damn good. I had nothing really to complain about, you know. Sure, I've gone through ups and downs, but earlier this year, I, I, I ended uh, an on-again, off-again romantic relationship that I'd been in for three years. And I thought I was going to marry her. Right. Thought I was going to have, have kids with her. And it became apparent that I wasn't. And I finally just drew a line in the sand and said, we've reached the end again, but this time this is the end. And I kind of like ceremoniously packed my bags, moved out, went into uh, the Marriott Hotel on in Santa Monica on the corner of... Um, Sixth and uh, Colorado there and spent two days in the fetal position crying for my mummy back home in Brisbane, Australia. Mm-hmm. And nothing actually was wrong except I didn't know what to do. Like I literally didn't know, should I be in LA? Should I go back to New York? Should I go to Brisbane? Should I do this business, that business? Have I completely messed up my life that I'm 42, single, don't have a wife, don't have kids, and now don't even have the potential of it because I just ended this relationship? Mm. All my friends back in Brisbane are getting married and having kids and have children. I'm not. All my friends seemingly are making multi-millions of dollars. I'm doing pretty good, but I'm suffering from comparison analysis. And Nothing bad was actually happening. I want to be clear, right? Nothing bad was actually happening. It was just all in my head. But in those two days, I was like rock bottom. Mm. I actually reached out to a um, friend of mine um, in Australia, pretty well, pretty well-known guy, Osher Ginsberg, who hosts The Bachelor, which is like the Australian mm. version of The Bachelor, because mm. I know he went through a relationship 
issue some years earlier and he and I'd become friendly and I reached out to him mm. and he was very kind enough to get on a call with me and, and help me out and give me a few things. So that was a great source of encouragement, I have to say. If you're mm. listening, Osha, thanks, mate. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then not to labor on the story, but just, you know, through a process of doing a couple of programs, experiential things and, and getting more heart-centered rather than analytical. So getting moving more into the right side of my brain rather than the left side of the brain, which was analyzing everything. Mm. I managed to break through in about two or three months and come out the other side and everything's just been beautiful bliss. and bliss. Wow. Yeah. What, what, in hindsight, what would you say was going on then in that, in that process of like if you had to look down on your body and go, what just happened to me? <laughs> you know, I, I, I hit that point of rock bottom, then I grew to this place. Yeah. It had been building, I think, for a few years, up until I was about 39, approaching 40. Everything was just cool. Everything's gravy. Like, yeah, everything's wonderful. And then I started analyzing my life and going, oh, I'm about to hit 40. I'm mortal. I'm going to die. Maybe I'm at the halfway point. You double 40, it makes 80. That would seem reasonable if I died at 80. It's like, and then you start going, well, hang on. I've lived a pretty damn good life, but now I'm going into a period of lack. Or I'm going into a perception of lack. What don't I have? What do other people have that I don't have? The choices I've made have led me to here. How have I messed this up? Mm. So I, I was in, a, I was in a, a mindset of expectation rather than appreciation. Yeah, yep, yep. I didn't appreciate really the stuff that I had. I was mm. expecting things. And I had projected the story of what I thought my life might look like and I hadn't hit there. And so I experienced a mindset of loss, mm. even though I hadn't lost anything. It was just a story. So that was building and building and building. And then with this romantic relationship, this was kind of like, oh, if I break through and I get married and I have the kids, then I've made it. You know, like then I can move on to the next phase. Right. If I can father a child, then I've moved on to the next phase. So when... I realized that that relationship wasn't going to continue and that it ended. Then it just, that triggered everything that had come in the, the two or three years of discomfort before then. That was like the trigger for it. It wasn't the issue. Mm. That relationship breakup wasn't the issue, but it triggered all of the things inside of me that had been mm. building up for mm. two or three years. Mm. It removed to the conscious, like if you're building this idea or this illusion of what you think, where you think you should be, the expectation of what you think you should be, that was the perfect dismantling of that whole illusion in a real in your choice, going, no, this isn't right for me. It's like your higher self going, no, I need to draw a line now, moving away. Yeah. But then that meant that all the pain of the, the idea of what we think we should be completely dismantling. And that's painful as fuck, isn't it? The, the bleeding it out, the letting of it go. That wasn't the most... You're absolutely right, and it wasn't the most painful part. I'll tell you what the most painful part was. Do. Um, and you're like, yes, tell yeah, me. me. You're like the- laughing. You're like... <laughs> giddy you're like giddy with it give me more pain and suffering james <laughs> you're like a masochist or... no 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 i just love that that's where the, that's where all the golden richness lies in life when people can be vulnerable with one another that's where you have really enrich and enriches the connection so this will be the first time that i'll share this particular <laughs> Thank story you publicly i honor right. you yeah i uh just to give context i was always obsessed with my hair yeah or more specifically hair loss my father was bald 
my mother was a very strong masculine energy in the house and I saw I kind of looked upon my father as maybe having elements of of weakness to him because my mother had such a strong energy to her which is just a story it's not true but that was the story and then so I associated baldness with weak mm. and so I was growing up in my early 20s uh, when I started to lose my hair I was like oh my god I can't lose my hair because subconsciously and consciously I might be weak like my father and I want to be clear my father was never weak mm. he's not weak but it's just the story that I created right yes um so I put like Propecia and stuff in my hair and I did all this kind of stuff. When I came to LA, I actually went and had hair restoration surgery, hair, a hair transplant where they take out hair from the back of your head and they, they fill it in in the front and the, and the crown mm. to try and make your hair look thicker, mm. make you look like you've got more hair than you actually have. Mm. And then that was fine for a while, but then I started to lose some of the other hair that was in there. So then I got this product called Topic where you start pouring like little fibers into your hair. Uh-huh. They're literally like magnetic fibers which cling on to um, to your existing hair, which it creates the illusion that you actually have right. bigger hair. Right, interesting. And uh, so now I'm playing the game for about 10 years of the cover-up, the great cover-up, <laughs> where I'm, I'm kind of out and about just living my life and to the to the people who met me who have no clue i'm just you know james with my hair and whatever (laughs) (laughs) they're not thinking james with my hair but i'm just james with hair (laughs) (laughs) i love the idea that you think that i know you wouldn't be thinking this but it's a funny notion to go i'm james with hair exactly yeah (laughs) and uh it was like but but then there were some certain things, that, certain problems that come with doing this cover-up, right? Which is, I couldn't really swim in the ocean or swim in a pool because if I did, the fibers would come out, oh, yeah. and then I'd look like I had then I'd, that. People would see that actually I didn't have as much hair as I thought, <laughs> as I was uh, creating the illusion that I had. Yeah, and then. Um, you know, and then if, if you went out and it was raining, you're always conscious of like the rain's going to come. And so you're trying to like yeah, seek cover and yeah. everything. And then if you were getting romantic with a woman and she wanted to put her, her hand through your hair, like in some kind of romantic scene, yeah, you yeah. kind of had to prevent her from doing that mm. because she, then she'd realize that you had this kind of topic in your hair. Mm. And this went on for like 12, I don't know how many years it was, more than a decade mm. that this went on. And, and, so, when I fast forward to six months ago, when I was doing one of these self-development programs, it was all about being free and letting go of your identity and letting go of your ego. And for me, it was like, if I lose my hair or people see that I don't have hair, I won't be as handsome. People won't think of me as, as handsome. People won't think of me as a strong kind of alpha male-esque persona that I've taken on. So, therefore, who am I? I'm just some weak freaking nobody walking down the street some guy who's got a head that looks like a circumcised penis <laughs> no hair that's how I felt when I first shaved it off so I remember I was in this self-development program and they're all celebrating me for being open and free and free from constraints because I'd had great breakthroughs I'd had clearing conversations with my mother and my father and my friends and I connected with people but at the same time I'm standing in this self-development program with my hair and, and the hair thickener in there and I, something felt incongruent. I was like, I'm being celebrated for being completely open and honest, but I haven't been completely open and honest about this thing, this mask right. that I'm wearing. Yeah. And so I literally got on a plane the next day and I flew to New York City to go to a place that did um, kind of like covered up the scar that, that, I, that I had on the back of the head. Yeah. 
because when you take out the hair from the hair transplants, there's a linear line that goes to the back of your head and it leaves you with a, like a noticeable scar. And I found a place in New York that can like make look cool that. cool though. That would look cool. <laughs> Maybe. It's like a t- white tattoo. Can make it look like it's not as you know pronounced as right. it was. Gotcha. Flew to New York, went to this place. They shaved off my head. I'm like, ugh, that looks awful. And then they covered up the, the tattoo a little bit, made it less pronounced. Um, the uh, the scar, I should yeah, say. Yeah. And looked in the mirror and I was went, I hate that. I look awful. And for like the next two or three weeks, just beat myself up and hid myself from everyone. Wore a cap, mm. didn't want to face anyone. Mm. It was like, it was like shaving off my identity. Mm. And then finally, I sort of came up out of that about three weeks, four weeks later and kind of took the hat off and came back to LA and got some sun on, on the head and kind of felt into it a little bit more. Mm. Three to four, three, two to three weeks isn't that long considering it was over a decade of the impression of it. Right. Right. And um, so applaud, I applaud that <laughs> turnaround. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and then I remember like just to bring the story full circle, like I, I, I gradually got more accustomed to it, right? I mm. gradually felt into it a bit more. And I remember I came to Venice Beach and I hadn't swum in the ocean in LA ever in 15 years of being here, ever. And my friend said, you want to go for a swim? And I thought about it. I was about to say no because I instinctively just say no to those invitations. And I was like, yeah, okay. So we went out here at the end of Rose Avenue in Venice Beach I went in there and I symbolically kind of like stared at the ocean and went, I'm going to go and put my head under, underneath the, the water here. This is amazing. So I went out there and I dived in and I came up and it was like, oh, it was like, oh, freedom. I feel alive. It was like, oh, I have not felt water over my skull in the ocean for like more than a decade. This wow. feels amazing. And it was like in that moment, and there were other moments, but in that moment, it was like, finally, I could just let go and just go, wow, like, I am who I am. This is who I am. And it feels pretty beautiful. Wow. Wow. What a, what a come into absolute love yourself, right? Yeah. Because we're not, we, don't, we just don't. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, powerful story. Because <laughs> I think you. a lot of men could relate to that as well. Like, we've, it, it's, it's just that thing of, been able to transcend these insecurities and the longer we cover up the insecurity the more significant the impression on ourselves or the behavioral pattern instills itself doesn't it yeah and then when you let go of it what a beautiful story of liberation of like it's gone it's gone and then from there was it like kind of a you come into points of loving and accepting yourself yeah it it was and i i mean i did get nervous about seeing friends of mine who know me for a while and like looking and go whoa what the what the heck you know i got nervous about that and what what was really interesting to me was that some people that i was friendly with didn't even notice that there had been a change Hmm. they were like ah james how you doing what's going on and they didn't even notice Hmm. one woman in particular i kind of said to her she goes what what do you mean you had hair did you oh oh wow oh i didn't even didn't even notice I was like, oh my God, I've been carrying around this burden for more than a decade. And people, some people don't even know. People who've known me a while didn't even notice the difference. Mm. Some people did, mm. you know. But everyone was really complimentary. Not one person made fun of me or, you know, made me feel bad. Mm. Um, 
But I did feel nervous, like when I was catching up with people I hadn't seen in a while and they didn't know. I would mm. feel nervous going in, mm. and then I'd, within a minute, I'd just feel okay. I feel all right, and so yeah, it was self love. You know, it was kind of like it was getting used to it, to this new look and this, but more than just a new look, a new. I felt like a new identity. Because mm. I, what I'll tell you what it was, I'd been acting for a decade. Mm. I've been acting and now I didn't have to act anymore because there's nowhere, there's nowhere to hide. Wow. And so now I was like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's so tiring when you're acting the whole time. It just, you, it just takes up so much energy. Mm. And so I realize, what I realized is, what, is that I wasn't, I, I wasn't liked by people because of how I looked. Yeah. I was just liked by people because of who I am. Yes. So that was a big realization for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny how the how long these impressions stick around, isn't it? Like if, like you said, it's it's really good pointing out that it's just a story that you created in your mind about your relationship to your dad. It's totally. it's, it's not necessarily the truth of it. It's just your observation of it, and how how that instills a, a pain pattern or a pattern, a, a mistake of our intellect over and over and over again. So we believe it and believe it. it just it, hearing that story makes me go, "What the fuck in my life?" Am I rigidly attached to the, the idea of my worth being associated with mm. and, and start to explore? That's why I think sharing your story inspires people to liberate themselves because it's a liberation, isn't it? Like this whole process is liberation of our limited. And that's something ayahuasca does for sure. Like it blows, it blows the limits off and makes you realize, unlocks the capability of growth and your potentiality and your expansion. Is there one area in your life where you've previously, where you felt um, like you're hiding something and you don't want anyone to know and then you've gone through the process and come out the other side? Yeah, So, and it's one that's still... So my eye, I had surgery on it when I was six months old, my Mm -hmm. left eye, um, because they thought it had a squint in it. So... They thought their eyes were slightly looking inwards. Um, normally, it self-corrects after about 18 months or so, but they didn't want to take it, risk, risk it. So they chose to operate on it at six months, um, which is inevitably mean that my, it meant sorry that my eyes, like when I'm tired, my left one, my weaker one, starts mm. to wander sometimes. Mm. And so I love connecting with people, and I, I don't like them. I don't like the feeling that it makes me feel insecure when. Um, I can't look at someone in the eyes <laughs> because one of them doesn't want to and it's too tight. <laughs> wow. And so I, I'm, I've become more and more weirdly insecure of that because I've been noticing it more and more mm. and it's something that I feel... Um, I'm, I, and I also don't know when it's happening. So mm. that's what makes me feel like... Like, is it, is it Walkland now? Like, this one is probably looking at you, but this one might be slightly up there. Are they both looking at I you? I mean, I'm really having to st- struggle <laughs> to find to see that, but no. Right, I can, I can show, so I can play this yeah. game. Or I can switch it. I can use my left and I'll make that one woggle. See that one woggling? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it looks like when I'm tired. So one just really deviates. Wow. <laughs> and I hate that. I hate that. I feel bummed that that's a thing that I have, <laughs> but I can't change. And I, I don't want to get surgery to fix them because I, there's a chance it can go wrong and make it worse. And I kind of just want to embrace it. And sleep is a big thing. If I get sufficient sleep, it never wanders. Mm. But it only happens when I'm tired. And for me, that's a yeah, it's a point of insecurity and a point of um, 
feeling like I haven't got good capability or just basic human capability to you know, look at connect with someone. Yeah, it's distracting. Where I, I, because I've seen people with their eyes both not looking at me and they're going wonky, um, and it's and it's distracting. I think people, I can look through that and just still want to connect with the person but there's something about the eyes that is just the point of connection to the soul and the depths of people so having that inhibited somewhat bums me out mm. anyway that's the that's the that's the point of insecurity that i could relate to you know what's interesting about both of our insecurities my with my hair and your with the eyes is yeah. that <clears throat> Both of them aren't really that noticeable to <laughs> to everyone else. True, true. You know They're what I mean? Pretty mild, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, the, and in the, the scheme of things, in the people people only care about themselves. Mm. So I only care about myself, mm. and you only care about yourself. Mm. Other people don't care about your eyes, <laughs> and other people couldn't give a rat's ass about my my hair, no, or my lack of hair, yeah. I should say. Yeah. So. But we build these things up, you know. This is this is why this, like the human brain is so powerful, for good and bad, mm-hmm. right? Because we just we build these things up in our head, and none of it's real. One of the things I've done in um, there's a program called Landmark Forum. Yeah, I've heard about that. One of the messages that you come out of there learning is that life is empty and meaningless. Like there's no meaning to any of it except the meaning that we assign to it. That's essentially what it means. Like everything is meaningless. So, we spend our lives assigning meaning to things. So, I saw my dad bald and went, weakness, I'm not going to be bald. I'm going to literally butcher my body to avoid being that. But did it actually mean that baldness was weakness? Did it? Only in my head, that was the story that I assigned to it. Ridiculous. That's crazy when you put it like that. Crazy. And people don't care. Like, people really don't care. Mm. People oh, don't care not, how yeah. I feel about that or how you feel. I mean, they do now because we're sharing the story and, they, and it's relatable to them. Mm. But nobody was staring at my hair going, is he had hair transplant? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's it? <laughs> <laughs> even if they do, they, they think about it for five seconds and then move on to like, oh, is that girl going to call me back? Or yeah. like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to get fired tomorrow or I'm yeah. so overweight. Everyone else here is so much more confident than I am. And mm. And moreover, when we're operating from that story or that assigned, I like well, assigning purpose. We're actually assigning very negative purpose or like toxic purpose to something, right? Mm. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're actually projecting that that energy, so we're multiplying it. It's, it seems, like you said before, it seems absurd that we would do that. Yeah, but we do. We're, we're meaning-making machines. That's what we do. And we can't, we'll never switch it off. Right? We'll never switch off the meaning-making machine, which is literally just matter between your skull. <laughs> we'll always be assigning meaning. You are assigning meaning to this conversation I right am. now. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assigning meaning to this. Well, let's talk about that for a moment then. <laughs> I'm assigning, the meaning I'm assigning is connect, having a space to connect with one another in a real, honest way open vulnerable way is fun playful i enjoy it it makes me feel good um i feel like it's it helps people liberate themselves from their thinking it helps me liberate myself from my thinking um i just love this whole space so the meaning that's the meaning i'm assigning to it it feels special Mm. (laughs) but to someone else well for me it feels scary 
Right. So for you, it feels special. And the story I assign to it is that this feels scary because I just revealed something of myself that's now going out, yeah. you know, into public domain. And it also feels great. All the things that you described, I feel that as well. But yeah. just add on to that, oh, the story is I'll be judged. Mm-hmm. People will go, huh, that's – what a weirdo. Mm. Like, what? Mm. That's crazy that he was he was thinking that. Mm. Or uh, – See, how, that's interesting because how I combat that mm. in – is always with um, pushing into it. For example, if I'm, I'm weaker in the moments of like sitting in the insecurity, but if someone confronted me or I felt judgment from them, I would make my eye woggle and just like waggle my tongue and look at them <laughs> to, like, to like throw them off. Or like in basketball, if someone's really testosterone fueled aggressive, I just be camp and then touch their bum or just be flirtatious. <laughs> I feel like I to try to break the system or break the paradigm. Um, that's how that's my that's my self-protective mechanism to um not feel affected by the insecurity or the feeling bad Mm. i think i combat feeling bad with um with some kind of jester flair (laughs) you know what i mean that's that's my self-coping mechanism yeah that that might be actually not really confronting or sitting in it maybe Mm. i don't know because I, I, I think if someone judged this shit, they're, they're, they've clearly got their own problems. Well, they're living in their story. Anyone like listening or watching us right now has got their own story about the words that are coming out of our mouth. And you want to know something? The only thing that's happening right now is that you and I are conversing. That's the, the only thing that's happening is that I'm saying something and you're saying something. <laughs> that's it. Everything else is a story. How interesting. The only thing that's happening is what's happening. It doesn't mean anything except the meaning that we assign to it. Wow, that's really interesting. So when you said that, this kind of vision of this just neutral ping, ping, ping between us and then we're kind of putting paint on it or something or other. Everything is neutral. Neutral things that are happening all the time. It's like, look. let me use the best analogy. This just... Look at uh, American politics, right? Look at President Trump. President Trump says something. What ha- what's actually happening? Well, President Trump is saying something. Words are coming out of his mouth. And if you look at the transcript of what he says, you go, okay, they're the words that came out of his mouth. The, here's, here's where it gets really interesting. One side, if, they're, if you're a Trump supporter, will say, yes, amazing what President Trump just said. And the other side, mostly the left, will say, no, what President Trump just said is an outrage. And both sides assign completely different meanings to one set of words. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The only thing that happened is that President Trump said something. But yet, this side says it was good, and this side says it was bad. Story, story. And what's happening? Wow, it's a really simple way to break down the mechanics of human existence, or just existence. Yeah, it doesn't mean that we don't have feelings or sensations, or we don't feel sadness or anger or joy or happiness. But if we can step back and just look at it, at every scenario, and go, "What just happened? Okay, well, what happened was what happened." But would you say there's intrinsic, beautiful 
meaning assigned, self-assigned to things, or is it even that's yeah no. Even, I'm just trying to see how far this goes because, for example, like the sun, it emanates this energy that's so life-giving and beautiful, but it can also burn. So <laughs> I'm just trying to see what other areas this applies to in the mechanics of existence. Let me give you, let me give you one more example. Right, just say you're a man's in love with a woman, and he dreams of getting married, having getting married and having children with her, and he has this idea in his head. And then one day the woman says, "I don't want to marry you. We're breaking up." And he breaks up with breaks up with him. He spirals out of control. He's like, I'm so depressed. Oh, my God, my life's over. I loved her. I thought she was my soulmate. Now, the only thing that happened was that they had a relationship and it ended. Right? And he's focusing on the loss Mm. between what happened and what he thought was going to happen. So, he experiences loss from what I thought this was going to happen, but only this happened. Yes, yes. Right? That's his story. So, he's experiencing yeah. loss and pain. The way that you could, the way you look at it is, well, what actually happened? What happened was that I just had three beautiful years with an amazing woman and we fell in love and we shared amazing experiences and I grew in it and it was the best thing ever. And I'm so grateful for the three years that I had. The wow. end. Wow. And what happened? Two people were in a relationship for three years and it ended. And they transitioned away from it. Okay. <laughs> What happened? I was in love with a woman and she broke up with me. And now I'm not with her. Cool. That's what happened. <laughs> it's so true. That's isn't the it? only thing that happened. Yeah. Anything else we should, should just red flag? Oh, wait a minute. Am I feeling anything else other than that? Red flag. It's a story. Story. It's an expectation. That's, I, I, know, I, I know that feeling and I know the feeling of um, moving away from it and letting go of it and knowing that it served a purpose that it wanted to serve because I, I grew a little bit, they grew a little bit or it was just a beautiful shared experience. I mean, this is, this is again, probably a story actually, but it's a positive story. At least. <laughs> yeah, look at you, your, your operating system of being a meaning-making machine is in overdrive right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to move. But I like... And that's a story that yeah. I just created that it's in overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> but I like... I, I feel like there is beauty in life and things happen. Like there's a supreme intelligence going on between us all and where, and when you can come, up, come to that level of awareness of things, everything's beautiful and magnificent and any connection is wonderful mm-hmm. because it's a shared experience. It's the, it's the process of coming together. It's the process of, like if we just say, for example, and this is a story, but existence got bored with feeling unified so exploded create all this universe and all this matter rotating around in order to have the experience of coming back to unity or coming back so it can't possibly and this is very Vedic but it can't possibly have the experience of unity if it didn't have the forgetting in the first place if forgetfulness or, or ignoring it wasn't prior to the mm-hmm. coming together. So so I see all this, and this is something you definitely experience when you have a little bit of psychedelics or whatnot, but like everything that you perceive in your reality is just, you're in love with it. It's like God consciousness. You're in the process of, oh my God, I'm in love with that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And you, 
that's when you've you haven't got any conditioned thinking or negative stories i guess but i suppose that doesn't feel like a story that feeling that you get when you're in love with just a fucking leaf or the wind blowing that doesn't feel like a story to me that just feels like that's something on a different dimension to me i would i would um argue, oh no i would no, no no i would argue that that feeling comes from realizing that life is empty and meaningless interesting oh yeah so go down so that, that feeling of euphoria or beauty comes from realizing that it's all meaningless but not consciously because i'm not aware that i'm i've thought something like that until now right so now i look at that leaf and go all right life is meaningless and now i'm going to assign it happens so quickly though i don't you, you, beauty like, the feeling of beauty and being in awe is a sensation in your body Right, mm. and it's beautiful. It's all you feel that, mm. just like sadness mm. is a feeling, right? Mm. So these are sensations. These are bodily sensations that we feel, mm. right? Mm. That's it. That's what's going on. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that we have these sensations. So it's perfectly normal and okay to feel that's beautiful, and I yeah. feel joy, and I feel sadness, I feel anger. Mm. These are these are bodily sensations, right? Mm. Um, and it's a lot easier, I feel, for my own, my own experience to feel those things when I accept that it's all meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. Right. Because then I'm just like, you're, like you said, everything can be beautiful. Yeah. I can feel the sensation of beauty and joy in any moment, whether yeah. it's a beautiful leaf or a sunset or whether there's a garbage truck driving down the street going <laughs> or making this kind of nasty sound. That's really interesting. So it's like you've come back to base or source or neutral stance of what neutral you're being. that's a good word that you're using neutral yeah all events are neutral there's nothing good or bad happening ever there's just stuff that's happening it's a n- neutral event but then our interpretation our perception of it is how we live our lives so i think the reason that's startling for me or for elements of me is because I feel like I want there to be something intrinsically divine about life mm-hmm. and and for other people and for other parts of my brain too it's also this thing of no there must be a universal purpose <laughs> you know? what draws us all together what gives us belonging I mean I, I mean that that would be love clearly like love is the thing that unifies us all and gives us a shared experience and a shared belonging but that is an assigned thing it's an assigned story somewhat mm-hmm. yeah I'm just exploring this as you- <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot to take in yeah and my story that it's a story and it's what's happening. Oh, oh no! Don't, don't go down this meaningless. <laughs> like the fact that is em- life is empty and meaningless is empty and meaningless. <laughs> Motherfucker, we didn't have to go double down on the, on the on that. That makes it too tricky to understand. And I do, I, I, I do want to make sure that I reinforce the idea that this is a concept that I learned from doing landmark forums. This is not some profound thing that James Swanick came up with. Yeah. Um, I've done the program a few times now and then I've got into a community of people and we talk about this. And, and you, you know what? Most self-development programs end up coaching or teaching a version of that, mm. you know, a version, a version of that. So, but anyway, it's been super instrumental for me in dealing with 
um, things that happen that ordinarily I would freak out and yell and say fuck a lot and and now I look at it and I go ah oh, okay that just happened you know it's like ah oh, got it mm. cool doesn't mean I don't feel the sensation but just st- taking a step back and noticing it completely diffuses the, the totally. situation yeah who, who came up with the original this original concept I'm not sure the guy's name but um, I'm sure this concept has been around for tens of thousands of years quite frankly yeah but I mean the landmark rendition. yeah I don't know the name but it was it was it was created about I think 60 years ago maybe maybe 50 years yeah. ago I don't know the name of the yeah. founder but he's pretty famous a simple yeah. Google search will yeah. we'll find yeah. him yeah um, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it rings true, absolutely. I'm just wondering what... I'm just letting it marinate on me. And I'll, it'll probably take a few days to really sink a bit deeper. Mm. Um, but it does absolutely ring true that we're neutral and then we assign meaning. Yeah. I'm, it, it, it's, it's just... It's um, banging some of my other world views <laughs> that I'm just trying to see how it can like harmonize with them and where the crossovers are. Like, I suppose that's what we do when we go through life. I find when, like, philosophize and you just kind of learn from lots of different religions, spiritual teachings, philosophies. Right. And then kind of accumulate your own yeah. sense of tr- uh, truth. And you're not right and you're not wrong. And mm. I'm not right mm. and I'm not wrong. Mm. I'm just, you know, you said the word your world. You said worldview. Mm. You have a worldview. That's a story. Mm. That's exactly what it is. You have a worldview. Yeah. You see the world through a particular lens. Mm. Story, living in story. But I suppose half of that's conditioning and half of it's intrinsic or like not half, half, but there's, I'm aware of the difference in myself when, when I'm sunk into my truest self and I'm just being, Mm. and when I'm operating from a place of story, which I I would liken to insecurity, conditioned thinking. That's what I like associate story with. And so the, the, the divine part of myself it just bees. It just f- flies around being. It doesn't. It doesn't even create positive story. That's, Great. That's 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 my experience of it, at least. Mm. Um, but the mechanic of seeing story on top of a neutral stance is a very helpful one for resolving traumas. Yeah. Tony Robbins does these kind of interventions at UPWs unleash the power within Tony Robbins is the famous motivational speaker who makes people you know walk over coals and and you can do anything and he'll say I think it's usually on the first day of UPW he'll say is anyone here who's genuinely suicidal and hands will go up and then he'll go into the into the audience and he'll get a microphone on the person and he'll get a microphone I remember one of these things this woman was there and she said I was raped when I was 15 and it was super traumatic and it was awful and my whole life I pushed men away subsequently and I've had failed relationships and he makes it just like relive the horror and the terror of it and, and then in the end he essentially has her saying now say this I was raped when I was 15 in that tone I was just yeah I was raped when I was 15 and do it with a big smile on face I was raped when I was 15 this is weird yeah I was raped when I was 15 and he has a laugh to change her relationship to change her total relationship what happened she was raped when she was 15 
her story has been, oh my God, it was awful, it was terrible, and I pushed men away and I'm in my head. And this, uh, I'm sure it was a traumatic experience, right? But what he did in the moment was say, okay, now laugh about the fact that you were raped when you were 15. It sounds horrendous just saying it, it does, to you yeah, now, right? Yeah, it sounds horrendous yeah. and like, oh, that's the worst thing and we should never make light of that situation. I'm just using the example. He had her literally change her physiology, realize that it was just a story. Did she get raped? Yeah, she did. Mm. But her story was pain and suffering and agony. Mm. And then she created a new story of doesn't mean anything. That's just what oh, happened. Man. It's so, so powerful. That shit's so powerful. A guy a couple of podcasts ago was talking about that very same thing. He got bullied and for a total, he said like a couple of hours in his teenagehood of, of, of actual experience of bullying, getting bullied. But the thousands of hours of that hurting himself with that memory or that story, he hurt himself. That was him. He needed to take responsibility, he said, for the fact that he's caused himself more pain than the bully ever caused him. Mm. Because once that impression was made on him, that energy is now his responsibility. And what he did with that energy was just fucking cycle it, cycle it, cycle it, cycle it, cycle it, replay, 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 and just caused more, way, way, way more pain on himself than the bully ever did. Mm. And I found that a fascinating, fascinating distinction because it's like, you're the, while you're the cause of my pain, you're not to be blamed. I'm to be blamed for this reoccurring thing. Mm. I, I need to take responsibility for this. And that's that Tony Robbins flip is... A, perfect example of that and it's amazing that he created a, a system where or a mechanic where like something like plant medicine does it like it makes you confront the your relationship to that pain impression and transform your story related to it because i guess she, he created a new story for it which was flipping it the other way to be light about it and then probably just come back to neutral to go all right it's just a thing that happened a neutral event yeah mm. fascinating stuff it's so fascinating it's it's and th- th- these are the things that we need in our communities to resolve trauma because oh, yeah. so many people are fucking you go to New York and my impression of New York is everyone's walking around just fucking traumatized by existing they're all so dis- they're in a state of distress ah, more more I need more 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 <laughs> yeah well that's also your story yeah that people are in general like we catch ourselves in generalizations all the time that's like, true yeah that's a horrific generalization you know like all people in New York are all distressed well is that true is it's it really largely true? true it's largely true <laughs> it's largely true for for some people for many people I'm sure yeah. but is it true of the whole place no yeah yeah you just you, when you play this game you start catching yourself in everything that you say <laughs> everything Story, 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 story. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. And it becomes quite... over. It's overwhelming in the, to begin with, to grasp it. But for me, I can only speak of my own personal experience. For the last four months, like I said, I've been so content. And I haven't been striving this idea of happiness. Because I was always a guy who was like, I want to be happy, I want to be happy. The meaning of life is just to be happy. And I'm like, what the hell is this happy thing? Now, I would have moments of happiness where I would like go and do really cool epic stuff and I'd just feel so much happiness from doing it and then I'd kind of like come back to whatever and then I'd feel a sense of lack until I could try and achieve the next state of happiness. It might be starting a business, it might be going to the monumental events like the Super Bowl or film festivals or traveling back to Australia and I was like, ah, oh, I just want to be happy, just want to be happy, just want to be happy. And then lately, in the last four months, I've just eliminated the word happiness and the happy out of my vocabulary and replace it with content and contentment. 
And what's happened is, is that when I wake up in the morning now, I, I have a rule. I'm not allowed to turn on my phone until I've written 20 things I'm grateful for in my diary every morning. What a great password for your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that. Um, and what that does is that it, re- it wires my brain into, th- into searching for evidence that things are okay and that things are good. So 20 things I'm grateful for, first thing in the morning. I write it down, write it down. Now, what happens is, is that this thing called my reticular activating system kicks in. And what a reticular activating system does is that it literally looks for evidence of the thing that you're thinking about. It tries to attract things in. So, for example, if I say to you now, red Tesla, red Tesla. Where is it? Red Tesla. (laughs) Where is it? I want you... (laughs) I want you to text me the next time you see a red Tesla, yeah, all right. right? And I would be shocked if it wasn't sometime in the next couple of days, right? Yeah. Red Tesla. Yeah. Because now your RAS is seeking proof of a red Tesla. It wants to see. You just notice it. This so when you do that exercise of like 20 things that you're grateful for in the morning, you're now forced to look for evidence that things are good, that my life is good, that my kids are healthy and that I live in Venice Beach and that I'm healthy and that, and that um, I've got good friends and that I was interviewed on jeremy's podcast today and i enjoyed the warm cup of lemon tea that i had this morning and it's like you're always just searching 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 what's good what's good what's good what's good and what that has done ironically has naturally increased my happiness levels even though i've removed the my focus is on i want to be content consistently content which means every day i just want to feel good i want to be feel happy i just want to feel good and by focusing on that, I've naturally become happier. Mm, mm. It's fascinating. It's so fascinating. And that thing that, what's it called? The RTI? RAS. RAS. Reticular activating system. Reticular activating system. That is that associated with this feeling that we have when we, oh, I saw these, I saw like signs, for example. Because when you, because you know that thing of when you look for it, you'll see it. That's, this is that system. That's the system, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like the power of vis- visualization. You know, all the self-help people like just, vis- you know, have a vision board of your life. Cut out pictures of a house you want to live in or places you want to visit, the dream partner, stick it on a board. So, you visualize it. More often than not, those things come true mm. because it's right there. You're, you're looking for evidence of it all the time. Um, how fascinating. Yeah. There, I mean, you know, there are stories of people who have imagined their dream romantic partner and they think about it and they look at an image of someone that looks like her or him and then they go out and they seek evidence and they find, and that person comes into their life and they attract wow. that partner. Wow. Likewise, if you say life is hard, oh, life is hard. You're going to fucking make that life hard. Life's going to be hard. Now, watch this. If I say, life is a party. Do you see how my whole physiology changed there? Yeah. When I, I, it was hard for me to say life. Yeah, I wanted to dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to say, life is a party. Like It's, kind of, <laughs> it's fucking creepy. <laughs> it's like creepy, right? But when I go, life is a party, what's happening? My whole body is associating party with party, yeah. So yeah. look at this. My, I don't. I don't even know how I came up with this dance move, but yeah, my, but it's fucking sick. My, 
my hands are going up and down and left and right up. Uh, look at my smile. There are 80-something muscles that are activated in your face when you smile, right? My face, The 80-something muscles are activated. My hands are going up and down. My chest is back. I'm up. I'm smiling. You're smiling back at me. Yeah. Right? I'm my and then I'm not even dancing. And you're not even dancing. <laughs> the whole physiology has changed completely. And it's because whatever we whatever we seek we will attract right mm-hmm. my reticular activating system has attracted joy and associates pleasure and fun with this movement with party life is a party so now i attract that kind of energy and you have now got that energy cuz you're smiling at me mm-hmm. but if i go oh man this it's going to be a tough day yeah, I feel compassion inside. Watch what happens. The garbage truck's going to come here and make lots of sounds. The, the, like, You're going to reinforce it. Someone's going to call me, distract me three or four times during the day. I'm looking for evidence that life is hard. And I go, see, see, it's hard. It's hard. Like when you say New York is full of people who are really, what, what was the term? Distressed. Distressed. distressed? Guess what's going to happen? You're going to go to New York and you are going see to see people who are distressed and go, see, so evidence true, dude. evidence that Fuck, my I just put myself right. in the limitation box <laughs> shit <laughs> that's exactly what I did if you say you can't be successful in romantic relationships guess what you'll start dating someone you'll sabotage it and then you'll go see I can't have successful relationships motherfuckers we are weird beings aren't we <laughs> <laughs> we do this shit it's insanity it's insanity wow it sometimes comes from external impressions well, it often does, right? I mean, like, even the reason my attitude towards New York was like that, because the airlines lost or stole, I'm not sure yet, my all my luggage. So, I've got I got completely neutralized, <laughs> which is ironic given this story um, of coming back to neutral. So, that, that gave me a negative attitude. I took on that energy. My I took... I owned it and then started projecting it. So, other people were distressed because I felt distressed here. So, I, I created that story and I needed to take responsibility for that. And realize it's just a story I created because of an impression that I received. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fuck that. I can fuck that off. <laughs> Thank you for highlighting that. Sure. Well, let me give you one, one last example that happened Please. to me last I love, week. I love him. I am, my story is I am absolutely useless with usernames and passwords. Like, I lose, <laughs> I lose usernames and passwords. I, I get logged out of, of PayPal, Facebook, Instagram. I can't log into my Gmail. Like, I'm hopeless. I've tried... I've tried last Dude, I've pass. Got two, I've got two bitcoins and I don't know the password. So, I completely relate. <laughs> I completely relate. I, I mean, I get logged out all the time. Like, I try Bank of America. I try to, like, log in with my, with my thumbprint and then I get logged out of that and it asks me for my password. I don't know what it... I mean, it's a mess, yeah, right? Yeah. And this is my story that it's a mess. And, and because it's the story, it's always been this way. And sure enough, I was saying this last week to someone like I'm hopeless with usernames and passwords I send things the wrong way I'm technically challenged right anyway I had to pay someone uh, $1,600 for a service um, and uh, he gave me the email address and I sent the $1,600 to the wrong email address oh shit because I had one letter wrong I got one letter wrong so $1,600 got sent to some person called Michael who lives in Salt Lake City apparently and he's and because I sent it as a gift on PayPal, not as like a service, I have no way of, of having PayPal give it back oh, to me. No. So I have to rely on this guy Michael to to Be give me the money man, back, right? Yeah. So a couple things, a couple lessons I learned from this. One is that 
my um, reticular activating system kicked in because I kept saying that I'm hopeless with tech and I lose usernames and passwords. What did I do? I completely messed it up and I sent someone $1,600 that they shouldn't have had. Motherfucker. Right? And the second thing is that, guess what? It was a neutral event. I was so calm about the fact that I've potentially lost $1,600 because I just went, oh, yeah, I accidentally sent the money to the wrong person. That's, <laughs> that's what happened. As we're recording this, I haven't got the money back. I've sent him two emails asking for it back, no response, and I'm not walking around going, oh, my God, I've got to get this money back. I've got to get this money back. It's just a neutral event. So whether I do or whether I don't, whatever. In my universe, it's just like I lost $1,600. So it's pretty cool. So one, I attracted that, that thing, right? Because yeah. I told myself that I'm crap at that. Usernames, passwords, getting things wrong, emails. Two, dealing with something that's potentially bad and realizing it is just a neutral event. I'm just like, eh. How about the time I accidentally sent someone $1,600? He's laughing. I bet he's loving it. Wow. Fuck, man. What, this, this, is, this is crazy because what that made me think is that... And I just attracted a, a garbage truck that's coming around the corner. Look at this. <laughs> Remember I said, like, you watch. I say, the garbage truck will come around the corner and here it comes. <laughs> But we, but our attitude to our story that we're going to assign to it is, isn't that an interesting sound that it's making? Isn't that fascinating? It's a neutral event. It's a neutral event. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I went the other way and made a positive story. But, but what that makes me think is like, I had a fearful experience on the plane before I lost my, plug it, my luggage. So did that mean that I generate that fear? It was like, I put my hand, hand up saying, I'm in a state of fear. Um, fear come to me. And therefore, quite possibly. Yeah. What I'm learning about the human brain is that it is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Like it's like all these things are coincidences. There's no such thing as a, as what we think a coincidence is. Like, isn't that crazy? It's not crazy. You have a thought in your head and sends in your brain, which sends off energy into the universe, which connects with another person's energy and another person's energy, and literally rewires the energy in the universe, which makes something happen. So I didn't used to believe in this, but I believe in it now. Well, I've done, I've read studies and done insight into the human brain. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to be like manifest stuff. That's ridiculous, right? But what we're what we're realizing is that there are things that human being that we human beings know about our capacity, but there's about ninety nine point nine 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 percent that we don't know. Mm. Not only and not even referring to the ninety nine percent that we don't know that we don't know. So isn't it conceivable that while we can't see it, it's quite possible that you having a thought that they're going to lose my luggage could send off some kind of energetic wave or pulse into the universe that would result mm. in them losing your luggage. Mm. It's possible. Mm. Well, it wasn't specific. My fear was actually associated with um, turbulence and my lungs cl collapsed a couple of times. So the potential of lung collapse and altitude can kill me. Mm. So there's just fear around that. Um, but the, that fear has a frequency. That fear would then, that frequency, that vibration would go out into the collective consciousness or the collective intelligence that you're talking about mm. of human to human to human to all sorts of other things. Mm. Um, and somehow draw it because likewise when when you're in a really abundant state content state you draw abundance and contentment that's exactly right exactly so right. so i i almost certainly manifested that motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> 
the only way to feel I, what I'm learning and haven't haven't perfected at all and still learning every day. The only thing I've the one thing I've learned is that the way to joy and happiness is to live a life of joy and happiness. Like the only way of feeling bliss is to constantly live a life of being in bliss. You know, mm. like because that attracts more more of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was, I assigned happiness and joy and bliss to if I do this, then I'll get it. But the only way to live a life of joy and bliss is to live a life of joy and bliss. Mm, mm, mm. And then you attract it. Yeah. And even if you get any residual karma or cause and effect from a negative field of someone else, you can process that motherfucker real quick, <laughs> you know, rather than take it on. Oh, I am that. What do they think of me? You just go, Whoop, that's just their story. Whoop, on it goes. So that you can kind of resolve this this collective negative karma or the, you know shitty shitty energies that are flying around, which are in our which neutrally are definitely happening. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it's just energy. The mm. fact that it's shitty is your story. That mm. it's shitty energenergy. Yeah, but it's not joyful. Yeah, that's, that's true. But it's not joyful or the blissful, which is what I intend. Yeah. The, the, but that's also a story. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> I've gone too deep again. <laughs> I like, just wanted to have a casual chat, you know, see what you're up to, what you're doing in life. Next thing you know, we're like, we're in the vortex. <laughs> I love, though, that you have the, that you consistently come back to, but that could be a story, you know, that, that's, but that's just a story. Because I feel like that it's that, it's that clarity and almost firmness that actually is really helpful in rewiring my brain somewhat mm. um <laughs> yeah yeah it's never ending so thank you james i feel yeah. like we could go for a long time yeah um but i just really appreciate your vulnerability your fucking sharing of your knowledge your sharing of your experience and some really powerful insights that i think i've got a lot out of and no doubt others will too thank you jeremy i really appreciate that mate